This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, howdy there, Internet people. Let's go again. And tonight we've got American Johnson with uh, Non-Compete is the name of the YouTube channel. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I'm very excited to be talking to you. I've been wanting to talk to you for quite a while, so I'm glad we finally worked this out. Okay, so give our viewers a little bit of uh, insight. Who, who are you? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, my name is American Johnson. Uh, that's my inter- That's my real fake name, as I like to say. Uh, I run the YouTube channel Noncompete. You can find it at youtube.com slash noncompete. Uh, I consider myself an anarcho-communist, but we talk to leftists from around the world from various different strains. My partner who runs the channel with me is a Marxist-Leninist Vietnamese woman uh, who's sort of in the Ho Chi Minh school of the left. But, you know, we talk to social Democrats. We talk to all kinds. Anybody who's basically critical of capitalism and uh, wants to see radical change in the way, you know, our systems are run and operated. That's that's what we're all about. That's cool. And you're in Vietnam now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been living in Vietnam for, wow, it's almost seven years now. Uh, yeah, I love this country. Um, it's not perfect, uh, but it's, it's I, you know, I, I go back and visit the United States and I realize you know, there's a lot of things that they do right here that the U.S. could, you know, we, the U.S. could learn a lot from this country in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of the social programs they have. I think that I would much rather be like a poor working person in Vietnam than a poor working person in the U.S. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great, great place to live. All right. So I'm looking at your YouTube channel here. I'm a little confused that this is obviously made for kids. I see like, <laughs> Legos and... Yeah, um, you know, we're all about trying to uh, lure kids to our channel by talking about old dead guys with be- beards, talking about, uh, you know, the means of production. That's that's our f- child focused content. You know, uh, that's our that's our that's our whole thing. We do have puppets. Uh, yeah. So um, if you're not familiar with the channel, we have like puppet shows um, where we have like uh, horses and goats and uh, superheroes, you know, struggling with their meager existence in capitalism and trying to find ways to overthrow the uh the government (laughs) and i do a few videos with legos as well i have a series called how anarchism works where uh you know we basically just use legos as like a sort of like just b-roll so you know to illustrate some of the points we're talking about um and uh you know i have uh but but i have never to my knowledge i've never had a I, i might have children watching but i've never had any kind of interaction with a viewer who is a child so um but According to the YouTube COPPA guidelines we've been given, um, because it's colorful and fun, uh, it's apparently for children. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time we live in here on the, the wild YouTube uh, frontiers. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, looking at all of that, and you you were one of the first people I thought of when I was looking at it. I'm like, well, this doesn't affect me, but <laughs> man. 
he's in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little nervous, but you know what? Like I've decided as soon as I heard about this, I was like, I'm going to stand my ground because, um, I, you know, if, if it comes down to it and, you know, I get in some kind of hot water where the FTC sues me or something like that, um, which, I, you know, and I've been doing research. I've been trying to figure out how likely that would be. And it's really hard to tell because uh, there's so much vague wording and there's so much like uh, contradictory. There's so many contradictory statements coming from the FTC and from YouTube about this. Uh, I mean, it's just really, really amazing. You have YouTube saying, like, don't worry about it. This is going to be fine. But make sure you consult a lawyer. Like, that's something that YouTube is specifically telling people. Like, don't worry. This is a, this probably won't affect you, but you need a lawyer. You better lawyer up. So, um, and the FTC is saying, like, you know, well, okay, I guess I guess to unpack this, I'll, uh, for, for anybody who's listening who has no idea what we're talking about, I guess I'll go ahead and kind of just quickly explain what COPPA is. It's an old law from, I think, 1998, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's, it's, it's around the time when I was under 13, actually, right? Right around the time I turned 13 is when COPPA came out. And it's basically, it's, it's not a terrible law. The whole idea is to protect the privacy of children on the internet and to keep companies from harvesting data from children, which I think is, you know, that makes sense. I don't want, you know, I don't have kids, but if I did, I wouldn't want big corporations harvesting data of them and that sort of thing. Um, and so that's what it really comes down to is the harvesting of data from children. Now, Google through YouTube has been uh, aggressively harvesting data from children, specifically on the platform of YouTube. Um, and the FTC basically decided to finally do something about it. And um, but they worked out an agreement where they did fine YouTube about like one hundred and twenty seven million dollars, I believe. Um, and that's basically it. And then they worked out an agreement where they would punish content creators who don't collect data. That's the thing that it's like mystifying to me. Right. They're coming after content creators who may or may not like, like, you know, who, who are making anything that in the words of the, of the COPPA agreement, make anything that might appeal to children, which it's like my, my favorite comment on that was a, another YouTuber named Breadbeard who said like, well, when I was 13, I really loved porn. <laughs> you know? So like, I think that might appeal to children, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's this weird situation. And then there's also the situation where, um, YouTube has an age restricted feature. If you if you if you use that feature, you know everything gets completely demonetized and they, the algorithm doesn't pu push it. If you say it's over over eighteen, and now they have this new it's for kids thing where they won't monetize it and they won't push it out. And there's and there's very conceivably a situation where according to the guidelines YouTube has set out, uh, if you made something like like for instance, there's this genre. I, I just learned about this through this. Um, I'm not a fan, believe it or not, of Minecraft porn. But it's a thing that exists. So if you make Minecraft porn, you're put in this dubious situation where you simultaneously have to, according to their guidelines, mark it as age-restricted and for kids because it is adult content, but it has characters that might appeal to kids in it. So YouTube literally wants some creators out there to flag their videos as 18 plus and for kids. So it's a very – it's a mess of a situation, and it, it makes no sense. Uh, and I'm just wow. scratching my head trying to figure out what to do. Wow, um, yeah. that's that's okay. <laughs> it's bizarre. Didn't, didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah, yeah I, it's it's you know there are a lot of people that are worried. It doesn't impact me, and I've looked into it from somebody who isn't really impacted by it, trying to be objective, and it's it doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. There, there's not there's nothing you can do about the data collection. And your content, it, it being bright and colorful or even using Legos, um, it, it's clearly not 
for kids. And if you YouTube's algorithm does what it's supposed to, it shouldn't really be showing it to them. I mean, it's going to show it to people who are interested in, you know, advanced political topics. Um, yeah, but hey, it's forty grand. You know, if 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 you mess yeah, up, yeah, if you violate this COPPA uh, thing, according to what the FTC is saying, uh, they will they will sue you for a forty two thousand something dollar uh, fine. Um, which you know, like if that happens to me, I've already decided I don't. There's no way I have forty two thousand dollars. It's never gonna. I'm never going to have $42,000. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to see what I could do about, you know, fighting back in court if that should happen. Now, there are some people who are saying that um, – uh, so basically in January, uh, the FTC is going to roll out some, like, more specific legislation. Or I guess – I don't know. Does, do they, they don't make legislation because they're an agency. So I guess it would be a whatever you call it. I'm not a lawyer. Guidance yeah. is what they're yeah. calling it. Yeah, but they're going to – yeah, they're going to make more specific uh, – <laughs> rulings and um apparently uh some people are saying that it's going to be hopefully make more sense i mean to me it's like um and as like a, a leftist anarchist who completely opposes everything the usa stands for i still know that we do have the first amendment and uh this flies completely in the face of the first amendment because it doesn't say you know the freedom of speech shall not be abridged unless it might be appealing to children um so i can't see this standing up in any kind of you know, court situation at all. Like, you know, if you, it, it's pretty easy to demonstrate, you know, that what I'm practicing on YouTube is protected speech. And if the FTC wants to try to limit that speech because I use puppets in my videos, I just can't see that standing up. So um, I don't know if anybody with the ACLU or uh, anybody like that wants to reach out. But um, if it goes down that path where, where I get sued by the FTC, I'm fully prepared to fight against it. Uh, you know, the other thing is I live in Vietnam. And like, so my partner, Luna, Okay, she's, uh, like I was saying earlier, she's a Vietnamese woman. Uh, she lives here in Vietnam. She's a Vietnamese citizen. She's never visited the USA. Um, she, uh, she's made some videos that are like, like for instance, she, she does a video where she tells the uh, Vietnamese version of the story of Cinderella, which is a very violent, dark telling of the story. Um, but she like illustrated it. She's very, she does these very beautiful drawings. Um, and I could definitely see somebody could say like, well, that might be appealing to children, even though she wasn't targeting children at all when she made it. Like her audience is all adults. From what we know, um, and uh, but you know, if she get, what would happen to her? I mean, she's Vietnamese, so well, from what I understand, the FTC would find YouTube, and if it gets into that kind of situation, like I'm just trying to think of head, think ahead here as a creator, as somebody who's a full time YouTuber. You know, this is this is what I do for a living. This is what Luna does for a living. Um, I can only imagine YouTube aggressively uh, erring on the side of like shutting channels down and deleting content or making it inaccessible if they get into the situation because she's not even an American citizen. There's no way that the FTC could find her. So they would have to, I guess, find YouTube. Um, so they're not going to want to get those $42,000 fines. So what, what, what are they going to do? What, what would any capitalist do? They're going to protect their own asses and uh, just, you know, censor content. Uh, so I, you know, I can't see this working out in any way that's going to hold up in court anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a hot mess, and I can't believe that this is the way that a bunch of grown ass adults are, uh, who are supposedly, yeah, I mean these are like FTC board members, you know, wearing like their their, their suits and ties with their slicked hair, and they look like they're grown ups, but they're acting like freaking babies, and they seem to have no clue how the real world works, um, especially not how our, the other thing is. Uh, I think there's a generational gap here, you know, and I, I have this. Uh, theory that perhaps this is like retribution for the okay boomer meme because um but honestly like i do i do think that people my parents age and i'm not trying to be ageist because there are definitely like older folks who have 
content that's going to be affected by this. So it's it's like a you know hashtag not all boomers or whatever. But um, but generally speaking, I think people that are like my parents' age, they still think of like video games and Legos and pop culture as like a child thing, and they don't mm-hmm. realize that I'm like 35 years old. I'm like starting to have back problems, and I still think Legos are cool, and I still play video games, and I don't think that people in their 60s and 70s realize that the people that they're affecting are definitely like voting age and definitely like you know grown-ass adults the people that, that a lot of this content appeals to um so i'm i'm really i mean i i'm very curious to see how this is all going to work out in the over through the course of 2020 but you know i'm nervous but i, I i'm not going to go down without a fight that's for sure yeah yeah um so do you have any videos or anything that you think the audience might want to watch that would help explain this or help kind of take a look at YouTube's uh, hand in this, I guess. Yeah, I have an old video. It's about a year old now. Uh, it's called We're Being Manipulated by YouTube. So if you just type into uh, YouTube search bar, We're Being Manipulated by YouTube, you'll see that older video. I kind of, I mean, I don't want to. Um, take too much credit for this because, you know, most of my ideas I get from just hanging around leftist spaces and listening to smart people. So I didn't make up any of these ideas, but we've all collectively been seeing this stuff coming for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, capitalism and, and having a, a social media platform that's owned by a capitalist entity, it is not good for individuals. And it's always going to tend towards censorship. It's always going to tend towards, creating corporate media that is like as milk toast as possible that appeals to like as broad a spectrum as possible without rocking any boats and they're not going to be amenable to people coming forward with voice so so we have two guys separate situations there's the situation that affects all content creators which COPPA definitely affects all content creators and then there's the um kind of an undercurrent that i think goes hand in hand with that that you know those of us who are critical of corporations critical of the status quo um if you know, best case scenario, if we become successful and we start to offer real challenges to companies like YouTube with our speech and uh, offer real challenges to capitalism, eventually we will show up on their radar and they will not want us to continue acting against them. Right. So Mm. I've been saying since, you know, this video is a, a year old, I've been saying we need to start building our own alternative platforms and supporting alternative platforms for a long time. So basically what that video goes into is it talks about alternative platforms. Like the one I talk about a lot specifically is Mastodon in that video. Mastodon is actually an alternative to Twitter, but um, it's a federated platform. Uh, And it sounds complicated, but it's actually pretty simple. So what that basically means is that it's a social media network that is composed of a lot of smaller social media. uh, They call them instances, but you could just think of them as like a server. It's probably the easiest way to wrap your head around it. So anybody could start a Mastodon server and then uh, link it up with all the other Mastodon servers. And then, so what that does is it, A, it puts the ownership of the social media platform in the hands of the actual people who use it, right? It's a lot more granular. So if you're you're on a server and you don't like... um, So for instance, well, let me me, me give you a real world example. Uh, There was a, a... fascist group of people who started their own uh instance of uh on this platform and it was like very pro-fascist free speech absolutist kind of thing and so all the other instances in the mastodon network which we call the fediverse because it's federated all those other instances just basically banned that server so if that makes sense so like 
if you're running a server and you don't like what's happening on another server, you could just disconnect from that server while staying connected to all the rest of them. It's a, it's a great solution. It's a distributed uh, system. It, it's, um, it puts a lot of ownership in the hands of us, the users. And now there is a maturing platform called PeerTube. Um, it is a direct competitor to YouTube. It's built on the same kind of a, a system. And so we have all these different instances of PeerTube that we can uh, join, or we could even build our own, you know, like leftist strands of PeerTube servers. And, uh, I, you know, the thing about this is, and, and I get into a lot of trouble when I talk to other leftists about this, I'm not advocating for leftist content creators or any content creators to leave YouTube, right? So I'm not going to like shut down my YouTube channel. And the reason for that is because right now that's where the masses are. So, uh, you know, we, we, if, we're, if the whole point of making content to try to change people's minds, you know, we have to be where the people are, just like Ariel in The Little Mermaid. She wants to be where the people are, and so do I. And so no that's content, why, uh, man. You're, you're never <laughs> going to make it. You're never going to make it. Okay. Yeah. So that's why, um, that's why, uh, so what I'm doing instead is, you know, Luna and I, we're going to build our own Mastodon uh, channel, and it's going to be like, uh, I'm going to consider it officially like the primary place where our videos go, but I'm going to still keep putting things on YouTube. Everything is most of everything is going to go on YouTube. Although there are some one thing exciting thing about PeerTube is that they don't have the censorship and the demonetization and the algorithmic problems that YouTube has. So there are some videos that I will be able to put on PeerTube that I could never put on YouTube that you know might literally get my channel deleted. So um, you know because there's some things that I want to talk about that I've never been able to because of YouTube's policy. So that's an exciting thing. But I guess my point is I'm not asking people to stop using YouTube and stop using Twitter. I'm still on YouTube. I'm still on Twitter. I will stay on them until I get kicked off. But um, I do think we need to be building these alternative networks for a couple of reasons. Number one is that it's a backup. So you never know when you're going to get nuked by YouTube or by Twitter. Uh, there's, a, there's a YouTuber named Theory Plebe who's been making videos for quite some time, got a pretty good following on YouTube. And then for basically no reason – for a very silly reason, uh, got their entire YouTube channel deleted. Basically, what they were doing is they were copying and pasting emojis uh, from one chat to another chat. Um, and then YouTube called that spam. It wasn't even spamming emojis. It was just like the same message being put on multiple videos. Uh, YouTube called that spam and didn't give a warning, didn't say like, hey, you better stop doing that. They just completely nuked the channel. It does not exist anymore. That has happened to uh, quite a few uh, content creators, um, you know, just getting their YouTube channels deleted for very bizarre or benign or even no without any explanation whatsoever. So, you know, uh, it can happen to any of us. And, you know, I, like I said, I do this full time. I have to have um, a platform. And so at least having Mastodon, it's a good backup system. But not only that, but, you know, I think that ultimately anybody who's critical of capitalism, we would, you know, a goal of ours should be to. Uh, eliminate these capitalist social media platforms and replace them with more open source, more community owned and controlled and operated platforms. Now, there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of uh, downsides to something like PeerTube. It's not a perfect system. It's not, it doesn't have a lot of the bells and whistles that YouTube has. There's no live streaming. There's obviously not as big of a presence right now. But um, the more people we could get on these platforms and the more we can make them go mainstream, the better that's going to be for us as a movement, you know? Uh, so I, I think there are a lot of reasons we should be taking these steps, these first steps into these platforms, supporting them, helping them to grow, and uh, helping to kind of depopulate these capitalist 
corporate owned platforms. And uh, so I can understand the criticism and the, and the reluctance a lot of people have to move to these platforms, but somebody has to start making these first steps. I'm going to be doing it. And I encourage anybody else who's out there watching or making content to check out PeerTube. It's, it's a work in progress. It's always getting better all the time. So just check it out. If it's not your thing right now, just, you know, every couple of months, check into it and see if it's getting to where you might want it to be to start watching more videos on PeerTube. You know, it's funny you say that. That's why the podcast started. Um, one of the reasons is because, yeah, my channel is extremely PG on YouTube. Yeah. In fact, this, before it goes up, it'll, it'll be edited because you, yeah. you, you said a dirty word. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so. How naughty of me. Right. But the podcast <laughs> uh, allows for a lot more expression. Um, right. And that's. I do think that that's important and branching out into various various other platforms is going to become really important soon. But uh, I, I am not technologically savvy enough to set up my own instances of this stuff. So explain how it works. How hard is it? What do I have to do? So I actually just looked that up yesterday. Um, I am. I would say that I'm. I know just enough about like developing and stuff to be dangerous. I'm a. I'm what's known as a front-end developer. I'm also like two or three years out of practice because I haven't really done a lot of web building since I started my YouTube channel. Um, so I don't know a lot about this stuff. And I frankly uh, will probably be saying some things incorrectly as I'm speaking. So just take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. Uh, but you know, somebody with my experience, which is pretty limited, I pr I'm pretty confident that I could set up an instance myself, um, but it's not something that like anybody could just go out and do. Uh, which is why what I think we should be doing is um, working together with people who do know more about this stuff. And I'm, I'm in communication with people who are actual, you know, real developers to build these instances. The thing that worries me, you know, that I would be concerned with, if I were to build an instance all by myself, you know, all by my lonesome, I'm not so sure that I could handle like the security and keeping it updated and all that kind of stuff. So I would want to work with somebody who's like more of an experienced developer to just, you know, keep it all uh, maintained. Um, so I think that the, the, the real way to do this effectively would be to start finding groups of people uh, who have various skill sets that we, you know, where we could work together. Because what I could do is I could help with like marketing and, and uh, promoting, you know, an instance or just the peer tube network in general. Um, but I would be less comfortable like building the, uh, the instance. But, but what anybody could do is build a channel on a pre-existing instance. So, I mean, if you want to set up a channel on a pre-existing instance, it's as easy as building a YouTube channel. I mean, you just uh, make an account, upload some videos, put in your keywords and all that. It's exactly like basically operating a YouTube channel. So um, I would say as a community, we should be working to build more instances. But then as individuals, we should just be like uh, creating accounts, creating channels and uh most of all, watching stuff. You know, if you're if you're just listening to this and you do, you're not a content creator, just take some time. There's cool stuff on PeerTube. There's stuff on PeerTube that you will never see on YouTube. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's it's a it's a little bit more at this point. It's more of like a, I guess you'd say like a underground movement. You know what I mean? So you're gonna find some some weird stuff. You're gonna find some really cool stuff. But the more mainstream we get it, and the more of us who are content creators, the more we kind of like uh, duplicate our videos onto the PeerTube network you know eventually we'll hit a critical mass i believe where we have enough cool awesome videos on here to where we have we stand a good chance of going mainstream and the same goes for mastodon you know like as of right now uh mastodon has a much lower user base than twitter 
but it has a much bigger user base than when I started using it about a year and a half ago. When I first went on to Mastodon, it was kind of hard to find people to talk to. And if you log, like I'm in Vietnam, so if I logged in at like two or three in the afternoon, it would just be dead quiet um, because not a lot of English speaking people were using it at that time. But nowadays, uh, it's always buzzing. There's always a lot of things going on. There's some really great memes that run around like exclusively on, on Mastodon. And, uh, but there's another thing I want to mention about PeerTube and Mastodon, and these are things we need to be conscious of, um, is that these systems are not designed to be addictive. They're not designed to manipulate you. They are not designed to, you know, emotionally control you the way that well, Twitter and fun Facebook. in that, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, so like Twitter and Facebook, they invest millions of dollars they hire some of the greatest psychological experts in the world to get you hooked and to manipulate you and to control you and to make you do things that will, you know, make other people a lot of money. These systems don't have those things. So right out of the box, the first time you log on to Mastodon or PeerTube, you're going to find that it's not as habit forming as like Twitter or Facebook. And it's kind of weird. It's like uh, it's it actually the way it feels to me. And I'm a little like I said earlier, I'm 35 years old. I was around you know, at kind of the beginning of the big internet boom in like the mid to late 90s, it feels more like that. It feels like, you know, you you log in, you're kind of purpose-driven, you're communicating with other people in a more of an organic way. It's not perfect, but it's much more organic, um, But and it's much less addictive. And that, that there are actual downsides to that, I think, because, you know, it's easy to like get yourself drawn back over to Twitter or drawn over to Facebook or back to YouTube where they're bombarding you and, and controlling you uh, through all these different hooks they have. Um, but once you, once, you know, once you can get your mind to kind of shift into that mindset that you're there because you, you have more control over it, you're, you're not being manipulated. It's actually quite liberating and I actually enjoy it a lot more. So what I always tell people is that I log on to Mastodon to enjoy myself, to relax, to talk to other people when I'm in Twitter, uh, or, you know, the rare instances when I'm on Facebook, I very much consider myself deep in enemy territory. I, I'm constantly aware of how I'm, they're trying to manipulate me. I have a lot of like browser plugins to turn off my timelines and turn off advertising and all that kind of stuff because uh, I was addicted to Facebook for about 10 years, like pretty, pretty strongly addicted to it to where I was checking my phone like constantly. I'm still fairly addicted to Twitter, I would say. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but I'm at least more aware of it now. But, but yeah, Mastodon and PeerTube don't have those things. And uh, so when you first log into, the, I guess I'm warning people, when you first log into Mastodon, it might feel kind of like, I don't know, kind of boring or like less, uh, it doesn't have that Skinner boxy effect of just like clawing deep into your brain. You're going to have to kind of make an effort to get into Mastodon and PeerTube at first. But that's a good thing in the long run. We don't want to have this, these corporate platforms like controlling our brains. I think that's, that's what I would say. So it's an interesting kind of little debacle. It is. It is. Um, so. What's Vietnam like? Oh, it's amazing. It's really awesome. Just yesterday, Luna and I went to a little um, pagoda in a cave. Uh, it's been there for hundreds of years. Ho Chi Minh slept there for a week uh, with, the, with, with his army in 1947. Um, and it's about 20 minutes from our apartment in Hanoi. Uh, we're about to move to Da Nang, which is a cool little beach city. It reminds me a lot of Charleston, South Carolina, where I grew up. Um, it's like a small <laughs> little tourist town. So, I mean, it's, it's great, but like, as far as day-to-day -day life, it's just so much more chill here. People are more relaxed there. There's much more of a focus on like family and friends and enjoying life. 
And you'll see people, I mean, like, I, I guess what I really love about Vietnam is that, you know, the people work really hard, um, but they're very happy. And uh, you, you don't see that kind of, I mean, it's it's creeping in, actually, especially with the office culture. So, like, a, a lot of white-collar jobs are moving into the sort of Japanese-Korean model where there's, like, they're asking people to come in on Saturdays and work overtime every day with unpaid and all that kind of thing. But that's, hopefully, they'll be able to avoid that from getting too strong here. But the 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 organic culture in Vietnam for a thousand years has been very anarchistic, very, they're very uh, skeptical of hierarchy and authority, believe it or not. Um, there's a, there's a saying in Vietnam, which I think encapsulates what I'm talking about. They say that uh, the rule of the village overrides the rule of the king. So, you know, everything is kind of locally <laughs> focused here. If you look at the central government of Vietnam, it is a little bureaucratic. It's very bureaucratic. It's very bureaucratic. It's very, um, you know, top down hierarchical. But then if you go into like a village and I've been to village, like kind of like town council meeting sort of things, and uh, they solve problems together. They said, so like I've been to a village council meeting where they were talking about an old homeless man and uh, they were just like, they just solved it. They were just like, okay, well, um, you know, this, this old man's living on the street. Uh, Miss Nguyen, you have a empty building, uh, empty room in your building, right? He could live there. And it's like, uh, you know, ha, you could bring, him some food every couple of days and then you can bring some food like they just solved the problem so the guy's not homeless anymore because his neighbors just worked together and fixed it for him that stuff happens a lot um it's it, you know they, they don't like to follow a lot of rules if you if you drive on the streets here you'll see it's a little it's, it looks a little <laughs> chaotic but i love it i love it it's it's kind of like this really it's a very free place um and the, and the people are very friendly and welcoming and warm and i i can't say enough nice things about it if anybody ever gets a chance to visit here it's well worth the trip yeah, yeah, that's actually one one area I've never been to Southeast Asia, um, yeah. and yeah, need to put that on the list. But so, how did you end up there? You went there on vacation, and were just like, <laughs> I'm not going back. I mean, yeah, actually, well, so so I, I was living in Korea actually. So I, it's a, it, I'll try to make the long story short. Um, I moved to Korea because of the financial collapse of 2009. I was running, a, I was a dirty, dirty capitalist, and I was running a, a business with about 15 employees. Uh, we got kind of like all of most of my, uh, customers were either in retail or not retail real estate. They were either in real estate or in nonprofit sector. And both of those sectors got hit very hard. Mm -hmm. So basically we'd done all this work and our clients just kind of stopped paying. And then it just got worse and worse. And I got really stressed out. We actually weathered the storm. Okay. Um, I broke even, I didn't lose money. I didn't really make money, but I broke even, I, I gave the, uh, company to my employees. And I was just like, I am out of here. And I went and I took a teaching job in Korea for a year. And so my whole, I had accrued some credit card debt as all American, you know, the average American has $6,000 credit card debt. So I had my $6,000 in credit card debt. So I was like, I'm going to go to Korea for a year, save up enough money to pay off my credit card debt and move back. And then halfway through my stay in Korea, I took a weekend, like a long weekend trip to Vietnam, three days. And I was just like, I've got to move here. It was just, just like, enchanted you know so as soon as my teaching contract in korea was up i instantly moved to vietnam and i have basically been here ever since uh but initially i did move to vietnam i will in full disclosure i did move to vietnam initially to uh build a company where i was basically working with a business partner we were going to build a marketing company and just try to build like a marketing sweatshop where we were going to hire vietnamese employees and pay them very little and then take all the money for ourselves uh, so that was around 2013. I've had some changes in my, uh, personal ethos since then. So yeah. fortunately that fell through, 
my business partner got addicted to like Xanax and alcohol. So we uh, separated and I just uh, ended up uh, kicking around and uh, eventually forming a anarcho-communist anti-capitalist YouTube channel. So it's been quite a ride. That is, that is a ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, <laughs> Bit of a 180. Okay. So other than, uh, I'm going to blindside you here. Other than the, uh, the peer to peer stuff, and the the different social media outlets um give me a a solution to a problem give me something you're talking about coppa specifically Uh, in general yeah anything something that people listening or watching to this right now can be like hey i can do that well the real solution to all of our problems is organizing together and building solidarity with the working class i mean that's that will always be the solution to our problems uh it's the problem is the left in the United States of America in, in particular, but also I would say around the world, has been gutted. You know, unions have become a, a shadow of what they used to be. Uh, you know, unions used to be very powerful, like central to the United States of American way of life. If I, I watch a lot of old, like 50s and 40s and 60s, uh, basically American propaganda. I'm very interested in that stuff. So I'll watch these old like newsreels from the forties and fifties. And they always talk about unions, like constantly you'll watch a, you'll watch a video about from like general motors or whatever. They talk about their unions. You'll watch a a video from the United States government. They talk about unions. The military was producing videos that would discuss unions. Unions were producing films that would go into mainstream movie theaters and they would play these little film reels that would like promote their unions. Uh, If you go onto uh, the Prelinger archive on archive.org, you could just spend hours there watching these old videos. And there's just, it's so interesting how central it used to be to the American way of life. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously through the decades, the conservatives have just gutted unions. Um, I think they're starting to come back. Fortunately, I think we're starting to awaken again, class consciousness with people, partly just because of desperation. I think so many people are living such desperate, meager existences that, you know, we're looking for ways to overcome them, and the union's a great way to do that. Um, of course, trade unions, uh, in my opinion, uh, they have a really important place. Uh, you know, it's great to band together with people in your workplace who do the same kind of job that you do. But I also believe strongly in the militant union. Uh, so that would be something like the IWW, a.k.a. the Wobblies. They have this idea of the One World Union. They've been operating for, I think, about 100 years now. Um, their membership is way up right now. They're growing. I highly encourage people to check out the IWW. You could be in any industry. You could work in any career, work for any company and join the IWW. They have chapters around the world. Um, even if they don't have a chapter in your area, you could become an at-large member and still get access to a lot of their materials. Um, but that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. We need to band together. Um, I, I'll, a lot of people are talking about YouTube unions. I know there is already a YouTube union, um, which, uh, you know, I think it's great that there's a YouTube union that already exists. I am also working with some other people to try to form a more militant union for content creators that would be associated with the IWW. That's still very much in its infancy, but I would love to see something like that happen. Um, because the, you know, and, and the thing about it is a lot of leftists uh, and, and, you know, workers in general, but we have this, I, I, there's a concept of learned helplessness, learned helplessness. And so it's like a psychological term. Uh, I learned it back in like, I know there's a lot of things I know just about enough to be dangerous. This is one of those things, but back in psych 101, we learned about learned helplessness. And that's the idea where if you put an animal in a cage for long enough, it just eventually just gives up. 
And you've seen, I'm sure, sure a lot, I, I don't want to upset anybody, but I'm sure people have probably, they're aware of the, the footage of like factory farms where chickens or pigs or whatever are kept in these really confined spaces and they just lie there. They just sit there because after, after they learn through time that there's nothing they can do about it, they just sit there and they give up. They give up the will to fight. And I think the working class in the United States is starting to develop this learned helplessness mentality. And so what I'm finding is that every time, like there's a big project right now led by uh, Javi from uh, Cunierdo de Esquerda. He's a Spanish leftist YouTuber. He's trying to organize a YouTube walkout. And um, this thing, it's, it's basically the idea is to not post any videos for like three days. Uh, I think it's going to be December 10th. And for people to like boycott YouTube for three days, basically. And a lot of people are saying, well, that's not going to do anything. YouTube's not going to care about a few, a handful of YouTubers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what, what, I, what I hope people understand is that doing things like this, forming unions, doing boycotts, doing walkouts, this kind of organized activity, of course it's not going to, like, bring YouTube to its knees overnight, immediately. Of course not. Nobody thinks that. Javi doesn't think that. I don't think that. Nobody thinks that YouTube's – like, I would be surprised if they even noticed it this first time that we do it. Um, but the whole point is that – we learn how to work together. We learn as we go. We find connections with each other. We network together. I mean, here's the thing. Like, what I always say is the Wobblies, you know, anarchists, anarcho-syndicalist groups like the Wobblies, uh, Rosa Luxemburg, Vladimir Lenin, what do these people all have in common? They all believed that small, organized activities build class consciousness, they build solidarity, they teach us the way forward, they show us how we can start to net these little victories so that we can eventually come together and build bigger victories. And if you've got the Wobblies and Rosa Luxemburg and Vladimir Lenin all agreeing about something, I think there might be something to that point. Um, yes, I think these small, little, limited activities, they're not going to over... Like joining PeerTube. Joining PeerTube is not going to kill YouTube instantly. It's going to take a long time for PeerTube... It's going to take a long time and a lot of effort to ever get PeerTube even close to being a competitor to YouTube. It's not there right now. It's a it's an uh, irrelevant platform right now. I will I will say that right now, of course. But how do we change things? We have to work together. We have to build slowly, but you know, consistently over time, and come together and uh, and believe that that it's possible to make a difference. If we don't believe that it's possible. Then why are any of us leftists? You know, I mean, like, why don't we just become nihilists and just roll over and get ready to die? You know, I, I can't abide by that. There's just this Eeyore mentality on the left, and I feel like we need a lot more tiggers out there jumping around and uh, annoying everyone, and and uh, and ultimately, hopefully, annoying the capitalists enough that they start to take notice. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry for that ram rambling tirade, but uh, <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're I good. I think that's the, the the key. TLDR. The key is organization and building class consciousness yeah all right okay so parting shot tell them something plug them something. Plug, plug something <laughs> whatever you right. got well uh yeah of course i'll tell you to subscribe ironically i will tell you to subscribe to my youtube channel at youtube.com slash non-compete uh if even if uh you are fired up and ready to get rid of youtube and switch to PeerTube, i don't have a PeerTube instance yet because, again, it takes time to do this kind of stuff. Um, so what I'm going to be doing is my plan is to roll out the PeerTube instance, uh, or, or at least my channel, uh, in early 2020. So, And I will be documenting that whole experience on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash non-compete. Uh, I'll be giving updates. I will be get, putting up tutorials for like how to start your own PeerTube instance. 
And I will also be participating in the YouTube walkout on the 10th. So definitely, uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about that, you can check out youtube.com slash non-compete. Also definitely recommend Javi's channel. Uh, if you're a Spanish speaker, you could probably find it more easily, but it's Cunierdo de Esquerda. Uh, he sort of spearheaded this operation. And there are a lot of other folks, uh, Breadbeard, Radical Reviewer, a lot of us are working together to try to make this happen. So um, yeah, get, get involved. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's understandable that we would have a fear of these unknowns, that we would have uh, trepidation about trying new things. And I understand why a lot of people are might feel like we're destined to failure. But I believe, you know, like people have done amazing things in the past. If you look at the, the history of the left, if you look at the history of the working class, we have done phenomenal things in the past. There's no reason we can't do it now. We have this technology. We have these tools that our predecessors did not have. I mean, imagine if, uh, well, some people say that if Vladimir Lenin had like Twitter, he would just be a Twitter troll. But <laughs> imagine if Lenin and Kropotkin and those folks had YouTube channels, I think. You know, it would have been amazing. And we have these technologies. We have these tools now. So let's use them. Let's fight together. And uh, let's change the world. I like it. All right. Okay, guys, we'll be back uh, in just a couple minutes. I think this is the point where an ad break will come into the show, I think. Anyway, so we'll we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that's going to be it for the show today. Don't forget that you can reach out to us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or you can leave us a voice message right here. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Y'all have a good night.